Hi everyone, welcome to Serving Group Podcast new episode. Today we are trying to find an answer to one of your frequently asked questions. Yeah, the question of the day, how to be a GIS expert? What exactly need soft and hard skills? My guest, Joseph Kersky, has been educated thousands of GIS experts, I think. And now he will help us to find out Welcome, Joseph. Glad to see you. How are oh, you? Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, Emery. It's great to see you and the interacting with your community is something I've looked forward to for quite some weeks. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Okay, let's dive into the topic. And uh, if we think that basically take a course, you, you can take a course and get your certificates. And yes, you are literally looking an expert, but point is that finding a reason to continue that for all your professional life. So I think the first key point was should be a mental motivation. Do you agree with that? And of course, wondering what was your motivation at first, Joseph? Oh, certainly. Great question. First of all, I think it's important to talk about the motivation that I think most people using geographic technologies, remote sensing, GIS, GNSS, etc., have. And that is to build a more resilient, healthier, happier world and our communities, making them more resilient, healthier, and happier. That to me is the primary motivation for using GIS. Yes, it's great to get these concrete technology skills on your tool belt. And yes, it is very much in demand in the workplace, as you and your community know. However, the primary reason for using the tools is to build this more resilient world. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's the primary motivation for most people in this field to, to take some aspect of the world, whether it's transportation or health or public safety or hydrology, soils, natural hazards, population change, etc., and to improve the quality of those different disciplines and those different communities grappling with all the key issues of our 21st century world. So that mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the motivations that I've always had in using GIS. The, the tools are a means to a greater or higher or more noble goal, right, Emery? It's it's never just to learn the tools because the tools are interesting. They are interesting. Maps have all, for thousands of years, right, been yeah. a fascinating way for people to understand the world. But the mental motivation, I think, is keeping those higher goals in mind. What do you want to see in terms of taking action, either yourself or with the data and the communication that you're sharing to help other people to get motivated to change something like an urban greenway or to clean up the water or uh, make intersections more safe for pedestrians, whatever it is that people are passionate about. So that is to me the what I would advocate as find something that's very passionate to you that you are very interested in changing and improving and and keep that as your higher goal. And that will help you mo- be motivated to learn the tools, to learn the methods, to learn the the coding or whatever is required to meet that higher goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you because uh, I think also it it should come more deeper and 
and higher uh, perspective of course the me mental motivation was important uh, but it's not enough you need also some of the skills tell us joseph uh, what are the top five skills that you will need if you want to be a gis expert from today or if we think that uh, for beginners what do you want to say well that's another great question and i appreciate you being so thoughtful about this my friend i would Thank say you. the following uh <laughs> the you're bringing up a very good point. There are lots of lists out there on the web and podcasts, et cetera. The top five places to visit in Asia right before you die. The, the top five coolest yeah. musicians of all time. <laughs> These yeah. lists abound, and they're, they're interesting to float out there. My list is subject to debate, and I would love to have a conversation with your community about, hey, Joseph, you're leaving off this one, or I think this should be expanded, or whatever. So I'm... I'm open to debating and talking about this because I think it's a good conversation to have. I would include in that list, in that short list, first of all, asking good questions. If you're asking good questions, that motivates you to be tenacious about the software, about the tools, about the methods, and to work those long hours that's required to solve problems. But it begins by asking questions. And that, I think, begins with our first point that you brought up, and that is to be motivated to take action to make positive change in our world. That will encourage you to ask questions about the health of the trees in your region, about the water quality, right? About mm -hmm. the natural mm -hmm. hazards resilience in your community, sure. et cetera. So those, I think, all are encompassed by this asking good questions. If you're a student listening to this, I would encourage you to ask questions that your professor is not even asking you to, to ask or to grapple with or to solve. Think outside the professor's questions. And when you're in the workplace, I would encourage you to do something similar. That is, ask questions that your employer is not even asking you to ask. That will show you to your employer as a person that's inquisitive, that is curious, that wants to solve problems. So I think asking questions about the biosphere, the lithosphere, the atmosphere, the hydrosphere, the anthrosphere, right, Emery? All of the mm -hmm. things in our world that are intertwined and are spatial and can be solved in large part through the application of geotechnologies. So asking questions, I think, is the most important trait in in your phrasing, the soft skills. I think that mm -hmm. is the most important one. Again, yeah. I'm open to debate on that. The second one I would say is the ability to work with a large volume and variety of data. We are definitely in this data-saturated world, right? In the old days of geotechnology, there were a, a few small sets of satellite imagery and vector data that we could all work with in teaching and research. Nowadays, we have the opposite challenge. We have too much data almost. And so we need to figure out how to manage it, how to filter it, how to uh, symbolize it and classify it so that it makes sense to not only us, but the people consuming our maps and layers and web mapping applications. So I think the ability to understand the sources of data, but also how do I assess whether that data is actually any good? Can I trust it? Who created it? How often is it updated? What scale was it created at, et cetera? Mm -hmm. I think that's an important part of being critical of data. 
especially in our crowdsourced world, and certainly there are many good crowdsourced or citizen science or community science or volunteer geographic information or whatever phrase you want to use for that, but there are many good sources of that data nowadays. But again, you've got to be aware of the data quality and whether it meets your needs. So that all comes back to being organized about your project. What kind of scale, resolution, et cetera, do you need for your project? And then thinking about the data that will serve to help you solve that problem. So being able to work with data, understand where it comes from, where can you obtain it? How can you generate your own data? How can you assess the data quality? But then the last thing about the data is Societal issues around data, I think, are very important nowadays, now more than ever before. Mm -hmm. Things like ethics, location privacy, copyright, uh, all of those sorts of things intertwined with data. You know, location geotechnologies are inherently personal, right? They're personal. And so partly because of that personal nature of the data, we need to be careful and thoughtful about how we're using it, how we're communicating the results of our research, especially nowadays in our web-enabled geospatial technology world where your maps and apps are potentially viewed by thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people, or in the case of the COVID yeah. dashboard from Johns Hopkins University, yeah. millions, millions of people, even billions. So the point is you need to be thoughtful about how you are using the data and how you're displaying it because yeah. maps, as we all know, are very powerful sources of information. They could be understood, but they can also be misunderstood. So I think that um, asking questions, the ability to work with data, and also this last point about communicating effectively with geospatial information are the three soft skills that I would mm -hmm. say are the uh, most important. And they're intertwined with the tech, tech hard skills too. I mean, when you're displaying or communicating information, as you well know, you've got to think about how do I classify the data? How do I symbolize it effectively? Yeah. How do I filter it? How do What map projection do I use, et cetera? So there's some technical skills that are intertwined, but I think those to me are the three most important. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, uh, really, uh, it was clear, I think. They, they have to trust their data. Uh, I think that that's the point because billions people looking and uh, get getting meaningful uh, information from your uh, product so so you need to trust your source and it was really uh, clear and helpful I think yeah thank you Joseph and uh, let's have a look at uh, also Esri's works in this direction I think the company uh, has also taken the responsibility of exploring new talents. Uh, can you explain how S3 encouraged young professional and do you have any special plans for 2022? Oh, absolutely. I'm happy to chat about that. Of course, First S3 of all... have new plans, but yes. <laughs> Well, I would say, you know, in encouragement to your listeners that I don't have a survey on this, but I would say that we are in the top five employers globally of people with geospatial technology skills. 
and the, the spatial thinking mindset. Mm-hmm. Certainly there are others, the World Health Organization, United Nations Environment Program, various countries, mapping agencies and science agencies. They're, they're all being employers of people with spatial thinking and geotechnology skills. But I would think ESRI is also in that top list. So that's encouraging for your listeners that there are places in nonprofit, academia, private industry, government agencies, where they could actually work to apply these skills. In terms of our organization, Environmental Systems Research Institute, or ESRI, as the listener may know, we are completely dedicated to helping people be successful with geospatial technology. So everything that we do is really about the end user. It's not about, you know, hooray for ESRI. It's about Mm -hmm. empowering users to be successful in public safety, transportation, natural resources, uh, et cetera, in other fields, literally from A to Z, agriculture to zoology. So that said, the reason why we've grown is because people ask us to build tools and solutions so they can make wiser decisions about the planet. So we have offices, as the listener may know, all over the world, including ESRI Turkey, ESRI Japan, ESRI East Africa, lots of interesting places around the world they could actually work. Mm -hmm. These are all independent distributors of our technology. We don't own those independent businesses. We don't tell them what to do. We collaborate with them on educational and other projects, but they are wonderful people in a wide variety of settings in different places around the world. We also, ESRI Global, has offices in interesting places too. Shanghai, Melbourne, um, uh, Zurich, etc. And so it is a global organization dedicated to helping people be successful with geotechnologies. I would say in, in response to your question, first of all, I would let the listener know that we have a Young Professionals Network, the YPN, Young Professionals Network at ESRI. So mm-hmm. just do a search on those terms and you'll find a vibrant community that is not just at the user conferences in San Diego, California, USA, but it actually they have uh, events and meetups and things like that all throughout the year. So these are this Young Professionals Network, it's, it's composed of two main groups. One, students, undergraduates, graduate students, but also people newly in the profession. They're, they're, they've graduated from university or technical college, and they are now in the workplace applying geotechnology to a wide variety of fields. So that Young Professionals Network is, uh, I think, something to look into. The second mm-hmm. thing I'll mention is the Young Scholars Program. So um, mm. the, the last few years, if you do a search online, you'll see my story map that I created for the Young Scholars awardees. They come from usually between 20 and 25 countries all around the world. And it really gives you a good impression that, A, these students are doing great work. Every year, Esri Turkey, Esri Japan, and others nominate people for this award. There's only one awardee per country, so it's a very stiff competition. But again, it shows you the wide variety of problems that people, students in this case, are solving with geospatial technology using UAVs, drones, satellites, uh, aircraft imagery, LIDAR, uh, vector data, uh, soil samples, water quality, and a wide variety of other data to uh, to 
address a problem and then present that problem effectively with a poster, a web map, a web mapping application such as a, a dashboard, etc. So that's the Young Scholars program. And again, I've got a story map on the Young Scholars for the last 10 years basically online. If you want to do a search on that, I think you'll be very encouraged. Mm -hmm. But I also want to encourage students to think about applying to that program and to be recognized for the good work that you're doing. Certainly, there's a lot of good work happening outside of that small number of people that get chosen every year, but it gives you a good sample of what's happening. And also, I would say that uh, the third thing to mention is that there is a vi vi very vibrant community all around the world of people doing GIS and banding together to share their results with each other. And certainly your podcast is great to, to get the community thinking about, oh, what Thank can you. I do with these tools? Yes. And how yeah. can I work with others? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Joseph. Here we come to the end of the episode. And thanks for the great conversation and accepting to join the series. I think maybe uh, after a few months, we can repeat again because uh, our listener uh, may ask you again uh, something, uh, maybe more deeper and higher. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, uh, I, th I think we can... Uh, we should do this again. So, uh, thank you again. Uh, it was really nice. So, uh, yeah. It, it's a great honor to be with you and your community, Henry. I, I appreciate the invitation, and I hope that sparks people into thinking about some of these issues and why it all matters. Yeah, thanks for your, your uh, explanation and sharing your insights. Thank you, Joseph. Bye-bye. Take care.